You're listening to Radically Pragmatic, a podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute. We talk with lawmakers, policy experts, and thought leaders about the issues driving the news nationally and internationally. The Progressive Policy Institute is a catalyst for policy innovation and political reform with offices in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. Its mission is to create radically pragmatic ideas for moving America beyond ideological and partisan deadlock. We encourage analytical conversations, not your typical partisan talking points. Hi, everyone. This is Aaron White at the Progressive Policy Institute. We have a great episode for you today, and I'm so excited for you to listen. Congresswoman Veronica Escobar, who represents Texas's 16th Congressional District, sits down with PPI's Director of Social Policy, Veronica Goodman, to talk about the child tax credit. This tax credit is a major accomplishment of the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress. An expansion of the credit was included in the American Rescue Plan Act, the COVID relief bill passed in March of this year. This bill had so much for working families, communities, and our public health system. It was a real shot in the arm to our recovery from the coronavirus pandemic. Included in that bill was a truly historic expansion of the child tax credit. The increased credit funds, which is $250 for children between 6 and 17 and $300 for each child under 6, will be provided monthly, giving over 36 million eligible families relief as we recover from this pandemic. Some estimate this expanded tax credit could lift one half of all children in America out of poverty. The first round of those payments hit bank accounts last week, and so many families have already shared stories about how the child tax credit is literally putting food on the table. In just a few minutes, you'll hear more from Representative Veronica Escobar and Veronica Goodman about this program and how it's helping families in Texas and across the country. But first, I wanted to fill you in on a few events and PPI happenings that you might have missed. Last week, PPI brought together a group of international leaders, U.S. Representatives Ami Berra of California and Jerry Connolly of Virginia, and a member of the European Parliament, Reinhard Budakoffer from Germany, a leader of the Greens European Free Alliance Group. This event focused on how to craft a stronger transatlantic response to China as Beijing advances Chinese influence around the world. It was a great, candid conversation led by PPI's President Will Marshall. The leaders covered everything from trade to climate change to human rights. You don't want to miss this. Check it out on our YouTube page. We'll link it in the show notes or visit progressivepolicy.org to learn more. Of course, the big news in Washington this week is the future of the bipartisan infrastructure framework. Our policy experts at PPI have been busy writing on the framework and providing analysis to lawmakers in the Senate as the framework continues to evolve. Don't miss Veronica Goodman's recent piece in The Hill on the importance of protecting funding for workforce development in the infrastructure bill, and Ben Ritz's piece in Forbes on the importance of paying for this package so we don't have to saddle the next generation of Americans with debt. These pieces and more can be found on our website, progressivepolicy.org. And lastly, applications are now open for the September Women Changing Policy Workshop, hosted by PPI's Mosaic Economic Project. This virtual workshop, scheduled September 13th through the 15th, is the third Women Changing Policy Workshop hosted by Mosaic. Previous workshops have included candid conversations with influencers in public policy, including leaders and representatives from the United States Congress, the media, and other experts from policymaking ecosystems. We encourage women with expertise in economics, finance, technology, telecom, and corporate governance to apply. Applicants should be well-established in their careers, be it at a corporation, academic institution, or NGO, 
and looking for opportunities to grow their influence on critical issues, from the wealth gap to infrastructure to healthcare. The Mosaic Economic Project aims to bring new voices into the policy arena. To that end, we value diversity in applicants. The deadline to apply is August 31st, 2021, and a link to apply can be found on PPI's website or in the show notes. When we return, PPI's Veronica Goodman will sit down with Representative Veronica Escobar of Texas to talk about how the child tax credit is changing lives. Hi, I'm Veronica Goodman, PPI's Director of Social Policy, and joining me today is Congresswoman Veronica Escobar, who represents Texas 16th Congressional District in El Paso. Congresswoman, thank you so much for joining me today and for the pleasure of interviewing a fellow Veronica. Great name, and thank you so much for having me. It's, it's, uh, I really am so grateful for the opportunity. Our, our pleasure. I'm so excited to discuss the child tax credit and your efforts in Congress on behalf of your constituents and working families across the country. Before we jump into policy, I'd love to hear about your district a little bit, which is very unique, and, and what issues your constituents are facing in the pandemic. Absolutely. I represent an incredible community, El Paso, Texas, literally right on the US-Mexico border. Um, we live in a state that unfortunately has limited our community's access to healthcare, where the quality of education is based on your zip code. So we have faced obstacles for generations in El Paso. And, and as a result, the community has had chronic poverty. Um, and so we, we deal with a lot of issues related to poverty. And so COVID obviously um, exacerbated a lot of those challenges. So when you have a community without access to healthcare, a quarter of my residents don't have any healthcare at all, then of course they are far more vulnerable. Um, but you know, I will tell you, despite the challenges, the, the community is incredibly resilient, self-sufficient, incredibly loving, generous, kind. It's an amazing community of goodwill. Uh, you will have read about El Paso over the last several years as, as the, the migrant situation at our nation's front door has come more to light. Uh, I believe my community has been a shining light in, in a lot of darkness because we have opened up our arms to people. We have really sought to help others in meaningful, thoughtful, kind ways all of this despite the challenges we face. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to be from El Paso and incredibly honored to represent the community in Congress. That's wonderful to hear. We're lucky to have you fighting for these important issues. And, and speaking of important issues, just last week, families across the country started receiving their child tax credit payments in their bank accounts and mailboxes. So working families with children under age six will receive $300 monthly per child and, and $250 for each child under 18 through the rest of 2021. And this is going to be a huge boost for so many working families. Uh, what have you heard so far from your constituents in El Paso about how this will help them? This is going to be so significant. You know, I, but just to share with you some examples of what I heard through the pandemic, um, I think it will provide good context as to why this is so critical and so important. Through the pandemic, um, especially families without health insurance, when they got sick, 
they were worried about going to the doctor because they didn't have money to pay for hospital bills or even um, you know, a, a fundamental initial doctor's visit. And so some of my constituents ended, ended up putting that debt on credit cards or borrowing money in order to seek medical help. Other constituents had to, especially with kids learning at home, you know, had to, to figure out how to boost their internet or Wi-Fi access. Um, and, you know, many of these families didn't have the luxury also of working from home because they're essential workers. I had a, a lot of my constituents tell me that they lost their jobs during the pandemic. So all of these challenges that constituents faced obviously result in financial hardship. And while Congress did, I think, uh, as good a job as we could have, and I'm really proud of the work we did to send help through the CARES package and through other packages intended to ease the pain of COVID, both the healthcare pain, but as well, the, the financial pain as well. It really, honestly, for, for many families in chronic poverty, it was not enough. And so this investment, especially in some of the poorest families and the poorest communities across the country, is going to make a huge difference. Families will be able to pay down debt, healthcare debt that they ended up having to take on during the pandemic. And the timing for many of my families with kids who are school-aged, obviously, you know, you have to be under 17 to, to qualify, but for many of our families, um, this will help them get backpacks, school supplies, um, clothes for their kids. Um, so it, it really represents, I think, a, not just uh, an opportunity to, to get out of debt for some of them, debt related to the pandemic, but also access to things that they fundamentally need, especially as the school year starts. Yeah, so there's been, I mean, there's been so many heartwarming stories about the way that parents are reacting to, to this boost in buying a backpack or just back to school supplies that they otherwise might not have been able to afford, um, which I really enjoyed reading. Are there any stories in particular that have stuck with you uh, related to the CTC payments? You know, um, not, not any in particular. We're having a town hall meeting soon, and I'm looking forward to hearing more of those very specific stories. But leading up to the July 15th date, when, when the, the funding would finally be in bank accounts, I heard a lot of anticipation about what they were looking forward to being able to do. I think what I have heard across the board, something that really has stuck with me is the sense of relief that many of our families are feeling. You know, the I, I think too often we take for granted the desperation that many of our families feel. Families who live paycheck to paycheck, families who are one paycheck away from homelessness, families who have to make really terrible, heartbreaking decisions um, about food, about medication, about car payments, about car repair or home repair, families who have to negotiate with landlords. So the thing that I think will stick with me the most is the amount of relief that I have heard in the voices of families who have expressed what they're planning on doing with the funding. I'm sure they, they appreciate that a lot. And, and we, you sort of talked a little bit about this, but 
many eligible families, including I'm sure some in your district, might not know about the CTC or might miss out because they're non-filers or uh, you know, people who are outside of the traditional tax system. So uh, I know uh, your office has been doing some work with local organizations to get the word out. Um, you know, what have been some of the challenges in raising awareness? Well, and th th this is part of why I'm so grateful to you and so many others who are helping us spread the word because as I mentioned to the organizations that we're working with to help spread the word, we want every single dollar that our families are entitled to, to come into their households. Um, so the, and, and unfortunately, here's, here's the big challenge. It's some of the most needy families who may not have access to information, um, who, who need the information, but also need the money. So we're depending on a number of different strategies. First and foremost, we have an incredible network of nonprofit leaders in our community, who in many respects represent the safety net for the community, sort of outside of the government safety net, they're sort of the safety net to the safety net. And we had a great conversation and strategized about ways to get the word out. And so we're gonna use their networks to make sure that the families that they help provide support for are informed of exactly what they need to do to get the money if the money hasn't automatically come in. Um, we also are planning to have a virtual, uh, I'm sorry, a telephonic town hall meeting. And we're gonna be getting the word out to folks to make sure that, that they have access to an IRS professional who will be able to answer their specific questions about their specific issues that, and challenges that they've faced as they've tried to access the money. My office also uh, worked really hard to, to get out literally tens of thousands of letters that would go directly into the mailboxes of El Pasoans and we did it in both English and Spanish because we have, you know, living on the border, we have a lot of Spanish speakers. We wanna make sure that they have the details, they have our phone number, they, they know how to reach us in case they are struggling to get access to that information. Um, we're gonna send out our email newsletter. We've done tremendous social media and we'll continue to do social media. So we are really trying every which way to get this information to the community. We're, you know, we, we uh, talked a little bit yesterday internally about potentially some, some PSAs in Spanish on Spanish language radio, because again, that we wanna make sure that we saturate the community with information so that not a single penny fails to get to some of the neediest families in the country. That sounds uh, like a great effort, and and I'm so uh, you know we're all so grateful to your office and to this network of uh, organizations that you're working through. Um, because as you said, I think it's it's some of the neediest families that stand to benefit the most. Um, so it's all hands on deck for that. And so the the payments are set to run through 2021, and there's a push by Democrats in Congress to make it permanent. Uh, you know, what's next to make it permanent and, and how are groups like the Democratic Women's Caucus, which we know you're a part of thinking about this issue? You're right. I am so fortunate to be on the leadership of the Democratic Women's Caucus. And that has been uh, not just the child tax credit, but other ways that we can support families like access to, to quality child care and making that part of our, our human infrastructure package has been 
one of our priorities. It's been top of mind. And yes, we absolutely want to make this permanent. You know, I, the, the way that I have framed it with folks that I've talked about is that this money belongs to taxpayers. So this, you know, this is this is money that hardworking Americans have put into the system in order to create a better country. And so this money rightfully should go and be directed toward the places of greatest need. And we learned very early on when we passed the child tax credit, just what a resounding powerful impact it would make in our effort to combat child poverty. 93.9% of children in my district will benefit. The child tax credit will lift 16,000 children out of poverty. You know, I, I shared with you the, the, the challenges that the community faces and some of the really terrible decisions that families in poverty have to make on a daily basis. Well, they're finally going to get some relief we cannot cut them off at the end of the year. You know, that's, it's, it's a, that marker, I think, that cliff, so to speak, that, that families could fall off of, we wanna prevent that cliff from, from arriving. And so we're hoping to find, just as I'm trying to find every avenue in, in, in my community to make sure the word gets out, we here in DC are trying to find every avenue possible to extend or make permanent this child tax credit. Something that should be, I think, the utmost priority for every lawmaker is to ensure that children don't go hungry, that children don't are not homeless, that children have every opportunity possible to live prosperous, wonderful lives and have, have the, an, a future um, that ultimately will help the country. And that starts with combating child poverty. And, and so to, you know, to colleagues who may not be interested in doing this, it really is a very simple choice. Do we want to end childhood poverty or not? And for me, the answer is very simple. And I think for my Democratic colleagues, and especially the, the women in the Democratic Women's Caucus, all of us who are parents, mothers, we should all make it our central mission to end childhood poverty. And it starts with this incredible tax credit. Agreed. And, and we absolutely uh, support making it permanent. And we just see it as really one of the um, big achievements of this Congress uh, and this administration. But as you sort of mentioned before, the CTC is just, is just part of the uh, American Rescue Plan and the American Families Plan uh, meant to, to help these families. Um, what are other priorities that you see looking forward to the reconciliation package that will make a difference for, for families in your community? The, the, I will tell you, one of the overarching goals of the Biden administration and of the uh, members of the Democratic caucus, who all of who supported um, our efforts to rebuild, build back better, and to, to create opportunities for all. Really, it is in so many ways in creating uh, an, an economic recovery that will create historic growth in employment and wages. Um, and, and we've seen the creation of more jobs. Um, and, and so we have to keep that going. We have to ensure that, um, that the work that we do 
results directly in uplifting Americans. Americans who for a long time, especially in districts like mine, have felt left out, left out of an economy that has over the last four years uh, with uh, President Biden's predecessor really has focused on the top 1% of Americans. And so, you know, as we saw during COVID, you and I talked about this earlier in our conversation, but COVID really laid bare the, the not just the disparities, but it exacerbated the, those disparities. And so, um, you know, we've got to make sure that as we go forward with our um, reconciliation package and with, with all of the work that we do, that we, we, we have equity as, as one of our top priorities so that we're not creating um, opportunities just for a certain select group of Americans. And also that, that we funnel the help where it needs to go. And, and that was part of what I really appreciated about much of our work in the CARES package. You know, it was, it was, it was a negotiation, so there was a lot of give and take but we really pushed on making sure that um, we, you know, we did everything we could to take care of essential workers or small businesses, for example, that, that we put a focus on women-owned, minority-owned, veteran-owned small businesses. Again, those groups of Americans, the majority of Americans who have been so left out um, for, for too long. So as long as we continue to keep our eyes on equity on the most vulnerable um, places and people and communities that have been left out, we really can reshape the country so that we're not creating those huge gaps um, between the very, very wealthy and the, the growing uh, poor that we've seen over COVID. So I'm very optimistic, very hopeful, um, and, and just really excited about what's ahead in infrastructure, both physical infrastructure, climate infrastructure, humid infrastructure, um, but also child infrastructure, because um, we've, we've got to think about the future. Our kids are our greatest hope. If we don't invest in them, if we don't take care of them, if we don't lift them out of poverty, then not only what does it say about our society, but you know, what will we be doing to a future generation? So this is our time and, I, and I'm so proud of this work. Yeah, likewise. And, and as a mother um, with two young kids, I just can't imagine uh, not making these investments in this generation. Uh, well, thank you again, Congresswoman Escobar. This has been a, a great discussion and I really appreciate you making the time to join me. We're looking forward to seeing how these timely issues involve in the coming legislation and we appreciate your leadership. Well, I'm so grateful for your efforts to get the word out, and I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you. Hi, I'm Curtis Valentine, co-director of the Reinventing America Schools Project here at the Progressive Policy Institute. I'm uh, what I like to say the do part of this amazing think tank. Our work with Reinventing America Schools uh, is a national project that takes us to cities and states around the country to engage with advocates from parents to school board members to state legislators, members of the chambers of commerce, local funders, and those who are passionate about reforming public education here in this country. 
our vision for America is a set of 21st century schools that have a level of autonomy, accountability, and choice uh, that we all know this public education system in America deserves. I wanted to come on and talk about some of the exciting things happening right now with our team and my co-director, Tressa Pankovitz. You know, we are so excited about the recent high-level advisory council that we recently created, which is chaired by David Osborne, the director emeritus of our project, but also includes amazing men and women like Myrna Castrojon of the California Charter Schools Association, Andy Rotherham of Bellwether Education Partners, Paul Vallis of the Vallis Group, people like former Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan, an amazing set of others who have dedicated their work in their life to education and have committed to work with our project. I'm also excited to talk about the next iteration of our amazing Reinventing America Schools webinar series. Most recently, we hosted a webinar which highlighted the work of the school choice movement over the last 30 years, and we were graced with the presence of former President Bill Clinton. We're excited about our next panel on August 4th, which will look 30 years into the future. This is, again, the next series of webinars, which will include partnership with the 74 and again, give us the opportunity to highlight who has next in this amazing ed reform space. Who will be the names and faces that take this work forward? If you'd like to know more information about that, please follow us on Twitter at Roz underscore education. You can follow me directly at Curtis every day to follow this work. That's it for our team. If you wanna learn more about the exciting work that we're doing, head over to the PPI website, progressivepolicy.org to stay in touch with us, to receive updates on the reports that we're generating, the podcast that myself and my co-director, Tressy Pankovitz, are contributing to, the conversations that we're bringing together, um, the amazing work of our advisory council, and just our effort to ensure that every child in America has the same rights and opportunities to a quality public education. Thank you. Look forward to hearing from you soon. Thanks for listening. Want to learn more about the Progressive Policy Institute? Follow us on Twitter at PPI and on Facebook at Progressive Policy Institute, or go to our website at progressivepolicy.org. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and check back for new episodes. We'll talk with you soon.